welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. Ever noticed how much God seems to delight in taking the absolutely ordinary and do amazing things. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture? Let me give you some illustrations. For example, God had heard the cry of the Jewish people in slavery in Egypt. And he, he had seen their suffering and their pain. And God wasn't indifferent to that. And so he went looking for a man. Now, what he didn't do was he didn't go to a king with a mighty army. He didn't go to a, a militant force or a terrorist group that would go and deliver his people. He did a really curious thing. He went to the desert and found the son of a slave. A man who was a rancher, ranching in the desert. That's got to be tough work, ranching in the desert, by the way. Of course, we don't know anything about that around here, do we? Okay. And from there, the, the son of a slave named Moses, he sent him. Amen? Isn't that interesting? On another occasion, the children of Israel were being oppressed by the Philistines. By the way, the modern day name for the Philistines is Palestinian, in case you hadn't made that connection. And, and God, God needed to deliver Israel yet again. And so what he did was he went looking for a superhero. But he didn't find a Batman or a Superman or a Catwoman or a Hulk. He found a runt of the family. The runt of the family. He was rejected by his brothers, despised by his brothers. His dad didn't even think very much of him. In fact, his dad assigned him to be the one that would take care of the sheep so he wasn't underfoot very much. And on occasion, when they were having a special dinner to honor the prophet of God, Samuel, he wasn't even invited. And the prophet had to go, are these the only boys you've got? Oh, no, we got the runt out there in the field. He's a redheaded kid. He's, he's just, you don't want carrot top. That's my paraphrase, okay? And the prophet had to say, go get the boy. And bring him in. And God chose the most unlikely. A red-headed Israeli who took care of sheep, who loved to write songs and play music. And that was the one God chose to confront the giant and to confront the Philistines. And by the way, who extended the kingdom of Israel to its greatest borders to this very day. The least expected. God just seems to delight 
in taking the most unexpected. On another occasion, the children of Israel were in slavery, this time to the Medes and Persians. And actually, there had been a law written that there was going to be a genocide. And God had to rescue his people from a certain destruction and genocide. The law had been signed. A day had been set when every Jew inside the kingdom of the Medes and Persians were going to be wiped out. All Jews would be taken out. And God went looking for someone to rescue them. Again, he found a woman who was a slave. Her parents had been killed. She was raised by her cousin named Mordecai. And Esther got to the throne and rescued the people. An ordinary woman, but God put her in an extraordinary place. Isn't that amazing? Only God can do these things, right? Now, to be sure, there's been times when he has used really amazingly gifted people, such as the statesman Daniel, who was highly educated, very intelligent man. Abraham himself was a very, very wealthy, powerful man. But it seems like when when the chips are down, God goes looking for the ordinary. Oh man, we got to get the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. We need to get we need to get the Jewish people back to the homeland. Okay. Oh, you know what? I've got I've got a servant over here who just he's the servant to the king. I'll use him. And he calls Nehemiah. Shortest man in the Bible. You didn't know that? Nehemiah? Oh, I'm sorry. That woke up the ones at the back. They're going, what do you say? What do you say? <laughs> when, when Jesus was going to call his 12 disciples, he didn't go to the prophet schools. He didn't go to the seminaries in Jerusalem. He didn't go to the palaces. It's really interesting. When Jesus began calling his disciples, he went to a fishing village named Capernaum. And he called Andrew and Peter, who were brothers. He called uh, from the house of, of Jonah. Their father's name was Jonah. He called two other fishermen, James and John. Their father's name was Zebedee. And those were his first four of his twelve And then he went to a really interesting place. He went and called a tax collector. That had to make those fishermen really glad. Because now the guy that they hated who was always taking their money, he had to be, are you kidding me? i got to have dinner with this dude? You know what I'm saying? Just, Just really. Jesus went to the most interesting places to call his 12 disciples. Because God delights to take the ordinary and use it in an extraordinary way. And, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just in, in the early centuries. 
down through the millennia, God's not changed. Now, there are times when he, when he calls the really outstanding, such as the, the call of the Reformation. He called a Catholic priest named Martin Luther, highly educated, brilliant man. And he also called John Calvin, uh, a very, very highly educated man. But dear ones, it just seems like the majority of the time, God delights in calling just ordinary folks, okay? Such as in the 1860s, America was in the middle of a civil war, and we needed revival, and God, God went to the city of Chicago and called a shoe salesman. A shoe salesman. Now, this, he was never an ordained minister. He was always Mr. D.L. Moody. But he shook the North American continent and he shook the continent of Great Britain with literally thousands of people coming to salvation at a critical time in American history. A contemporary with him to reach in to the nation of that we know today as Nigeria in West Africa. God went to Scotland and called a woman who had been raised in an alcoholic home. At the age of seven, she began working what they called half-time which meant half the day she would go to a school that was conducted by the, by the mill factory, and then the other half of the day she would work in the mill. And at age seven, she began, that grew up in a very, very poor home. But God called Mary Slesser to go to Nigeria to begin reaching the headhunters, to begin reaching the wicked. And she became a powerful missionary for Almighty God that shook the southern part of Nigeria. In 1896, America needed revival again. The revivals of D.L. Moody had, had lost some of its power and steam. The churches were becoming formal. And God needed to birth revival again. And God did two very interesting things. The first thing he did was he went in to the mountain region of Tennessee and North Carolina. And he went to a bunch of farmers. And they began gathering at the Shear schoolhouse. And this group of people began seeking God with all their heart. And they were suddenly all baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and th- that began a move of God that began to spread throughout the southeast. By the way, it gave birth to our movement called the Church of God. In our headquarters in Cleveland, Tennessee. In, and, and it started with a bunch of farmers. But that wasn't, that wasn't adequate because God wanted to reach the whole nation. And so he wanted to not only start on the east coast, he wanted to start on the west coast. And what he did was he reached down and found himself a black man who had a passion to learn the word of God. 
But because he was black, he had to sit in a chair outside the door of the classroom because he wasn't permitted to go into the classroom where the white students were being taught in a Bible school. So he sat outside the door learning what they were learning. And God took this barely literate black man to L.A., and he, he rented what had been a stable at one time and he began holding meetings. This man was so humble that when he got up in front of the crowd, he would put his head in an apple crate and wouldn't look at the crowd and he would pray until God fell in that crowd. And from that simple, humble black man who wouldn't even look at the crowd that gathered there but would put his head in an apple crate and pray was the birthing of the Azusa Street Revival. So simultaneously on the east coast with some simple farmers, on the west coast with a humble, simple black man, Almighty God brought the modern day Pentecostal revival to the world. Humble, simple people. But God didn't just touch North America. God went over to England and he found a plumber. A man who was illiterate. But after he got married, his wife, who worked with the Salvation Army, she began to teach him how to read. And she used the Holy Bible as the textbook to teach him to read. This simple plumber who could barely read received the baptism of the Holy Spirit And in 1907, one year after Azusa Street, he left the plumbing business and began preaching full-time. And by many people is considered the greatest man of faith of the 20th century. Simple plumber named Smith Wigglesworth, but a giant for Almighty God. God just seems to delight in taking the ordinary and using it for the extraordinary. Now what's really important to you is you need to know he's not changed. He's still the same today. Amen? Amen. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. Because why would God do that? Why would God do that? And, and how does God do that? How does God take someone that grew up in what today is known as felony flats in Spokane to a simple woman who was disabled, raising her kids on $100 a month, and travel him 14 time zones east is the farthest I've gone. I've, I've preached in most of the province of Canada and almost every state in the U.S. How does God do that? How does God take simple people? Here's how. It's found in Luke chapter 24. Would you turn there with me? The Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. The Gospel of Luke chapter 24.
Okay, you're going to have to be patient with me. I just shut my computer off. How'd I do that? I'm still hearing pages turn, so that turned real slow. Okay. And we're all there together now, right? Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 46, if you would turn with me there. Okay, Luke 24, 46. Listen to the words of Jesus. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in, the na- in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you're witnesses of these things. Stop right there. Look right here. So Jesus is saying, look, I've been crucified, buried. I rose the third day. Now we've got to take this message to all the nations of the world. In my name, go to all the nations of the world and preach. Amen? But look what he says. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. He had given them the great commission. He had told them what they needed to do. But then he said to them, but don't go do anything until you're endued with power from on high. That word endued is an interesting Greek word because it literally means to put on a garment, to put on a jacket, to put on a coat. In other words, I don't want you going and doing anything until you're wearing the coat of the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, he's, he, he's going to say this again in a few days when he, when he ascends off the earth. This is recorded in the book of Acts chapter 1. The same writer, the same writer that wrote the book of Luke, Luke the physician, also wrote the book of Acts. Both of them are addressed to a man named Theophilus. And the book of Acts starts this way. Now, O Theophilus, of all the things I began to write to you concerning Jesus... And then he goes on and he says this, that he told them, but wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then they ask them this question, Jesus, is this going to be the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answered them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that my Father has put in his hands only, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in in all Judea and in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus reiterated what he had said to them in the Gospel of Luke. He reiterated it because then it says, and after he said these things, he was taken up. And the disciples are standing there on the Mount of Olives watching him go up. That is an interesting experience. What I think is really, really funny is as they're watching him go up, some angels appear in the sky and they go, You men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? 
Why? How many times in your life do you see somebody just go up in heaven? Unless they're on United. I mean, that, that's, that, I've always thought that was a really funny question. But of course, the, the, the whole point is they're going to give him this message. This same Jesus shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. Right? That, that was the real point of their message. I just think their question is really funny. Why are you gazing into heaven? Well, hello. You know. And so Jesus has made this promise to them. There is a promise. Heavenly Father has a promise for you, and he wants to keep that promise. What's the promise? You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you will receive supernatural power so that you ordinary fishermen are going to do extraordinary things. It's a promise. It's a promise, and I want you to receive it. And so they spend 10 days in Jerusalem praying and seeking God. 10 days praying and seeking God. And on the 10th day, Acts chapter 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And tongues of fire sat up all them that were in the house. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They received exactly what Jesus had promised. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. And, then, and then after that, in the book of Acts, in two different places, we hear these things. One place it says, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. That's interesting. Because Jerusalem at that time was about a million and a half people. But then in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, it says this. It says, those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Oh, no. We're in trouble. Amen? Those simple fishermen, 120 people, had now become so powerful that they were turning the world upside down. God taking ordinary people and doing amazingly ordinary things. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday. Now, what that means to the Jewish people is Pentecost Sunday is the 50th day after Passover. That's what Pentecost means, is 50th. And it's the 50th day after Passover. But it's also the day that they commemorate God giving Moses the Ten Commandments. They believe that it was 50 days after Passover when they were delivered out of slavery, remember, by the blood of the Lamb on the, on the doorpost, that it was 50 days later on that 50th day that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And, and that's celebrated there. But inside the Christian community, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday as the 50th day after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because Jesus spent 40 days with them after his resurrection, teaching them and training them. 
And then he told them, wait and pray until you receive the, the promise of the Father. And we know the scripture I just shared with you, that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, on that 50th day after his resurrection, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. For the first time in history, the Holy Spirit was poured out, fulfilling the prophecy of Joel, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Amen? And so we celebrate Pentecost Sunday as the day that Jesus Christ gave the baptism of the Holy Spirit to his church. And so we celebrate that. Now, dear ones, what is really, really important to you is that you understand the significance of that in your life. And, and that Almighty God promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit not only to the apostles, but to everyone. And I have this asked of me regularly. Well, wait a minute now, Pastor. That baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, that was just for the apostles, right? Well, let's take a look and see. Let's go to Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Do, do we have that on there? Yes, we do. There we go. Let me see if I can get my pointer to work. Okay, start with me right here. Can you see that? Everyone read with me beginning at, at and it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. Now why this is so important to you and I is in the second line. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. Now in Acts chapter 2, Peter quoted this passage of scripture and said, what you're seeing happen here is exactly what Joel prophesied. This is the time that God is pouring out his Holy Spirit. But something very interesting happened that day. When Peter got done with his sermon, the people there in the crowd said, what do we need to do? Well, I want you to see his answer in just a moment. What do we need to do? Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. It says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, look what Peter's saying. Peter is telling us exactly who the promise of the Father is for. Do you see there? He's saying, you will receive the promise, for the promise is to you 
Are you getting it? It's the same promise Jesus gave recorded in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. The promise of the Father. And who is it for? It's to you, the ones that are there that day. The ones that are there that day. Those gathered that are hearing Peter's sermon. It's to you. But he also said, and to your children. That's the next generation, right? That's the next generation coming. But so far, it's only to the Jewish people. Because all those who were there hearing Peter that day, they were Jewish people. They were proselytes from other parts of the world, but they were all Jewish people. And Peter's saying, it's to you, it's to your children. But he didn't stop there. He also said, and to all who are afar off. I love the way this is recorded in the Greek language because the Greek word specifically means those people that live a far distance away. Now he's including all the nations of the world, Jew and Gentile. It's not just to the Jewish people. It's not just to those who are in Jerusalem. It's not just to those living in Israel, but it's to all nations of the world, Jew and Gentile. It's to all nations. Hallelujah. And that's going to be fulfilled just a few days later by this same guy, Peter. In Acts chapter 10, it records that Peter went to the house of a Gentile named Cornelius, a Roman centurion. And the Roman centurion had gathered all of his family there. And so he has this house full of Gentiles and Peter starts preaching the gospel. While he's preaching the gospel, they start believing the gospel and receiving Jesus and they're all baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And Peter looks at the other Jewish guys that are with him and goes, I guess we better baptize these in water because they've received the Holy Spirit just like we did because we hear them speaking in tongues. And so they take all those Gentiles out and they baptize them all in water. That is the first time in history that someone other than a Jewish person receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that was fulfilling what Peter said. Don't you think we ought to give God a thank you? Come on, praise Him. To you, to your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. Oh, wow. I love this now. Because that includes their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. That includes the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren of all those who live afar off. In other words, what it is saying is God is saying to all future generations, as long as I continue calling people to salvation and to being born again, the promise of the Father is for every person of all generations who receive salvation in me. They can have this promise. Turn your neighbor and said, now he's talking about you. Come on. Now he's talking about you. Oh, yeah. Whoo, yes. Hallelujah. Amen? God's promised this to all of us. Why? Why in the world does God want people to get baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues? 
Why does he do that? Well, he told us, I want you to have power. (laughs) Why would God do that? Why would God want his people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues? It's real simple. Jesus made it really, really clear. Because I want ordinary people to have supernatural power. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Do you see those terms there? Upon you. Just like he said, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. You're going to put on this garment. And, and, and you're going to receive supernatural power. And it's going to enable an ordinary person to do extraordinary things. Would you please say these words with me? The baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues enables an ordinary person to do extraordinary things by the supernatural power of Almighty God. That's the point. That's the point. It's to give you power. He said to the disciples, look, I've given you the great commission. I've told you, you've got to go into all the nations and preach, preach the gospel. But don't go do anything until you're clothed with power from on high. And every generation, he's given that promise. The promise of the Father. You can have this power so that you can do extraordinary things. Now look right here. I want your full undivided attention. You have an assignment from God. Hear it. You, you personally, have an assignment from God. That is why you were born. You were born, you were formed in your mother's womb. God had it written in a book. And God had a purpose and destiny for your life. And when you were born again, that positioned you to be able to fulfill the purpose and destiny that God had for your life. You weren't just a blob plopped here on planet earth just to take up space and to breathe the air and to eat the food and and to just barely get by. I'm just hanging on, just getting by, man, till my days are done. You know me. I'm just a cellular mass on the way to the fertilizer pile just hanging out. That's not what it's about. You were created with a purpose and a destiny. And when you were born again, that positioned you to fulfill what God designed you for. You have a divine assignment for your life. But you can't do that on your own. There's no way you can do that on your own. You need the power of God to be able to do what God's called you to do. Listen. Listen. Jesus said these words. Listen closely. John chapter 14, verse 12. This is the night Jesus is betrayed. He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be betrayed and he's going, to, he's going to be taken before the religious leaders and then the governmental leaders and he's going to be crucified. 
And, and as he's headed towards that, he's talking with his disciples and he says these words, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, that's in the old King James. Most of the, the NIV, the NAS, and modern translations say it this way. Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, Jesus isn't repeating himself. He's not stuttering there. He is a Hebrew. And even though it's recorded in Greek as a Hebrew, he is using a Hebrew idiom. It's, it's, a, it's a, a rule of grammar in the Hebrew. And that is, if you want to give exponential power to something, you repeat it. For example, in Isaiah chapter 6, the angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. We have the same thing in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. The angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. What they're literally saying is, God is holy to the third power. And here Jesus is turning to his disciples and he's saying, I am telling you the truth. It's absolutely the truth. And what is that truth? He who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Now let me tell you what he was not saying. He was not saying, I'm telling you, apostles, the works that I do, you will do also. He's not saying, I say to you, prophets, the works that I do, you shall do also. He's not saying, Benny Hinn, the work that I do, you will do also. He's not saying, televangelist, mega church pastor, the work that I do, you will do also. That is not what he is saying. What he is saying is, every ordinary believer that is born again of the Holy Spirit, I am going to give to you the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and an ordinary person will be able to do the work that I do. You've got an assignment from God. And that assignment from God is you are to do the works of Jesus. That's his assignment. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, there are people that live around you that desperately need the work of Jesus in their life. Well, well, what did Jesus do? Let me, let me just give you a little thumbnail of what Jesus did. Jesus went to the most broken, damaged people. Some of them that lived in the worst kind of sin. A prostitute. A woman that had been married five times and was shacking up with a guy. He went, he went to people who used foul language and got drunk and, and, and partied all the time and he would go and he would sit with them. Why? Why? Because when he went to them, they became born again and their life was transformed. He went to sinners and brought them the transforming work of the gospel. Jesus encountered demonized people wherever he went. And when he encountered demonized people, he would take authority over those demons and set the people free. 
Jesus would come across people who were diseased and people whose bodies had been broken. A woman that, that had apparently lesions in her digestive system and she was bleeding all the time and Jesus healed her. She had been to every doctor and no one could help her, but she touched just the hem of his garment and she was healed. He went to the home of a family whose little girl had somehow died. And he prayed for her and she rose from the dead. Jesus, Jesus, I, I had some sort of a disease in my arm and he healed it. Wherever Jesus went, he brought them salvation. He brought them deliverance. He brought them healing. He even, he even had people raised from the dead. Now, dear ones, it's so easy for us to say, well, oh, but see, I could never do that. Oh, I could never. Oh, I, 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 I don't speak well. I could, I could never tell people the God. I just don't speak well. I, oh, I could never. Oh, I can't. Wait a minute. Stop. Jesus said, if you will believe and receive, I will clothe you with supernatural power. So now, when you go to the workplace, you're not just going in your own strength. You're going in my power. I'll, I'll, I'll send you in my power. I'll send you in my power. You can go in my power. Yeah, you're just ordinary. You're just going to go there, clean the floors like you do. You're going to go there. You're just going to type and do the stuff you normally do. You're going to go there and you're going you're gonna to hammer nails. You're going to do what you normally do. You're going to go there. But when you go to the workplace, you're going to go in my supernatural power. And when you get there, you will be salt and light for my kingdom. Salt. You know what salt does? Salt adds flavor. Amen? I mean, don't you just love french fries without salt? Yuck! Forget it. That's like having sugar-free cookies. What's the point? Okay, so it's not so healthy for you, but man, what's the point? Come on, really, what's the point? Okay, what's the point of eating french fries without salt? What's the point? I don't get it. Come on, I want that salt. I want it flavored, amen? Gives flavor. Here's the other thing it does. Salt preserves, right? Before they ever had refrigeration, they would, they would, they would store their meat and stuff with salt, right? Because it's preservative. But here's the other thing. Watch this. Salt melts ice. Come on, right? Salt melts ice. So when the church gets cold, 
And it starts getting formal. And it starts getting, we're just doing religious stuff. And yeah, well, we're here, we're getting, yeah, we're singing, yeah, we're just formal stuff. The church is getting cold. Almighty God says, I want to send out my salty people. Because when you start hanging out with those lukewarm, cold, iced up church, you will melt the ice and revival will come. Come on. You know, there's... <laughs> Lukewarm church is really horrible. I'll tell you what's double horrible, and that's Pentecostals who get lukewarm and cold. It's ugly. It's awful. Because they once had the power, and now they're just doing, doing church. And I want to tell you something we need right now, folks. Listen to me. We don't need more smoke. We don't need more lights. We don't need better musicians. We don't need more hyped up church. I'll tell you what we need. We need more salty, spirit-baptized, tongue-talking, fire-empowered church. That's what we need right now. Come on. Light, light in this darkness. America is going really dark. I, I wrote a blog on this. It, it, didn't, it, it, it didn't get real popular. It's kind of funny because <clears throat> uh, a couple of my blogs in, in April just went viral. Thousands of shares. And then, and then I wrote three on holiness, and it's like, <laughs> no, nobody wants to. Really, you're writing about nobody wants to read about holiness. We got to have writing about holiness. And and then I wrote I wrote a blog on. Um, okay, America has done the same thing that happened when Samuel got old. And I find it really interesting that the majority of, of people from gospel-preaching churches didn't vote for Ben Carson, who openly declared his Christianity and walks it out. Ted Cruz, who openly declared his Christianity. In fact, Ted Cruz did something. I've been, I, have been, I have been working in presidential campaigns since Barry Goldwater. That's like about the time of Moses for you young people. Okay? And I've never seen a presidential candidate that openly recruited thousands of prayer warriors. And every Tuesday, they got together on the internet and they prayed for our nation. I, I've never seen that happen. Now, I'm not talking politics here. You may or may not have liked the politics of these two guys. I just find it very interesting that the majority of those from gospel preaching churches voted for a man who openly brags about being, being unfaithful to his wife, been married three times, who, who is belligerent, who openly advocated violence in his, in his, campaign meetings who openly has dropped F-bombs regularly and, and, and just, I mean, why, but that's what, that's what our nation did. Our nation rejected those that are openly Christian and chose either Hillary or this guy or Bernie. And I just go, this is really interesting to me. 
What's going on? So I began to seek God about this. And I'm not talking politics here. I'm talking the heart of America. I'm not talking about being a Democrat or being for one candidate or the other. I'm talking about what's going on spiritually in America. And God said to me, the same thing that happened with Samuel is what happened here. Samuel's sons grew up, didn't really know God, didn't really walk with God. And the nation got weary with these guys because they were so corrupt. They were taking bribes. They, they, they were making judicial decisions based on what would benefit them. They were, I mean, they were after, they were for themselves. And they were using their position of power for themselves. And folks, does that sound anything like another place that we might know about? I'm not mentioning names, but it's Washington, D.C. And America is sick of it. We are sick of corrupt politicians. Come on, amen? And so what do we do? Really? The choices between Bernie, Hillary, or Don? Really? Where do you think we're going with this? We're going to go the same way it went with Israel. Unless, here's the secret, unless, unless we choose to do what has happened in past history. When the church was so corrupt that its history of church leaders was immoral to the worst degradation, the worst thing you can imagine. God found himself a Roman Catholic priest who was hungry after God and he saved him and baptized him in the Holy Spirit. In Martin Luther's journals, it is really clear this was a spirit-baptized, tongue-talking man and he raised his, his co-worker, Melanchthon, from the dead twice. I mean, this was a man of God and birthed the Reformation, Okay. When, when the church again was, was so cold and was filled with drunkenness and corruption and they weren't preaching the gospel, God reached down and found two brothers at Oxford University and he saved them and then he baptized them in the Holy Spirit. And in the journals of John Wesley, it talks about how in his meetings, people would fall down to the ground uttering in a language that no one understood. And God birthed revival in England again. And God has done it time and again. And at this juncture in American history, when America is going dark, I'm telling you the answer is the same thing. We need a church baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need a church baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need ordinary people rising up in supernatural power, taking the gospel. And I'm really yelling right now. I'm sorry. We've got to have the church baptized in fire again. And that comes with speaking in other tongues. Well, but is that for today? I just told you. To all generations. To all generations. I've had people ask me, well, pastor, but isn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Didn't I receive that when I got saved? 
I mean, didn't I get the Holy Spirit when I got saved, Pastor? The answer to that is yes, you received the Holy Spirit when you got saved. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. First in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He said this. He said, now hope will not disappoint. For the love of God has been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit who is given to you. He also said this way in Romans chapter 8 verse 9. If we do not have the Spirit of Christ, we are not of His. So when we're born again, Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. He lives in you. Absolutely you have the Holy Spirit. But there's another work of God's grace. And that's not Holy Spirit coming in you. It's you going into Holy Spirit. It's not Holy Spirit coming in you. It's you going in Holy Spirit. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Okay, so, so Saul, you got baptized in water just, what, three weeks ago? Four weeks ago, something like that? Yeah. So when Pastor Dave baptized you in water, he took you into the baptism tank, right? When he got you there, did he say, open up, and he take and pour the water in you? No, that would be like, okay, he's dead. We better do CPR right now, you know. <laughs> what he did, though, he immersed you into the water, didn't he? And when you come up out of the water, you were just soaked in water all over, weren't you? Amen? Right? And that's what God does with us with the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are taken and Jesus immerses you into the Holy Spirit so that inside and out you are soaked and saturated with Holy Spirit so that God can give you supernatural power. And the evidence is you speak in other tongues. When you're soaked in Holy Spirit, God gives you this beautiful heavenly language so you can worship him and you can pray and you can build yourself up spiritually by a power that is so much greater than anything you could imagine. So you got to make a choice. Are you going to continue living in your own natural power? Going to the gym and getting buff. And man, you got a six pack. You got a four pack. I used to have a one pack. Okay. Come on. Is that what you're going to do? You're just going to, you're just going to do it all in the natural. Yeah, you can, you can, and you're going to heaven. You don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues to go to heaven. You get that when you're born again and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. You're going to heaven. Yeah, you can go to heaven and you can even do things for God that way. But I'm telling you right now, the way our city is right now and the people living around you right now, the people that live next door to you, the people that you work with every day, they need a child of God who has supernatural power to help them. Would you stand with me, please? We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at 